Hello, everybody, um, and welcome to the Cambridge Insider Podcast, episode number two. Stephen Fanica here, all the way from New Jersey. Um, it's cool to be back for episode number two. My good buddy in Seattle, Craig, how are you? You know, I, I'm doing pretty good this week, uh, Stephen. The smoke has left uh, Seattle, at least for the majority of the part. And, you know, kids are back in school. We're learning. Everything's going good. I think it's officially fall this week, uh, which is my second favorite season. So that's uh, that's fantastic. What's what's your favorite season? Summer, obviously. It's the best season. Kids <laughs> are out of school, free time, a lot, lot of stuff. That's why you and I are such good buddies. <laughs> um, a lot to chat about this week, actually. We have a few uh, a few things in the news that I think we need a we need to touch on. I think you know. Let's let's get right into it. Uh, Craig, you know a little bit more about this TikTok, WeChat, call it a ban and then an unban. I'm I'm losing a little bit of focus on what's happening all the time. Do you wanna you wanna share a few insights with with our listeners? Yeah. So um, this is this is a big news. I think everybody's seeing it. Um, most of the focus is on TikTok being banned uh, because it's owned and created by a Chinese company. But for us and for the majority of uh, the world, the bigger problem is the WeChat ban, um, which as probably all of our listeners know, is the way that people communicate with their friends and family back home. Um, if you don't know and you haven't been to China, WeChat is much more than a messaging app. It's not like WhatsApp where all you do is send messages. You can pay on it. Um, when you go to China, everything is WeChat Pay. It's social media. It's literally everything in China runs through WeChat, whether that's that's good or bad. Um, it's not really for us to decide. It is kind of the lifeline for people to use. And so the Trump administration uh, was trying to ban it. And what that ban would mean would be that they would block companies in the United States from working with WeChat. Uh, it would be hard for them to make the app unusable, but what they would do is they'd pull it from a number of stores. They'd try and get companies not to host their servers and do a number of things to try and dilute the product so it became less popular here in the United States. Uh, but the good news for us is that a judge found that there was uh, insufficient evidence and that it is has they have received a preliminary injunction uh, on this ban. So that means the, the judge found, uh, these are her words, certainly the government's overarching national security interest is significant, but on this record, while the government has established China's activities raise significant national concerns, it has put scant little evidence that its effective ban of WeChat for all US users addresses those concerns. So at the moment, there is not a WeChat ban. This will likely be appealed. Um, but that will probably start a lengthy uh, court battle that that might last all the way past the election into late next year. All right. I mean, this this has huge implications. I had, and I'm sure you did too. I had several schools reach out to me when this broke. I think it broke about last week sometime. Um, I had several schools reach out, you know, wanting to know from Cambridge's side what's our what's our plan of action for those for those maybe listening that don't understand how big this app is. Um, Craig, correct me if I'm wrong. WeChat is owned by Tencent. Yeah. 
Yeah, all right. That is so, correct. So if any of you ever have the the privilege of traveling to China, um, Shenzhen, which is south in the country, uh, right close to Hong Kong, uh, really the sort of the tech hub of China, um, and this Tencent, the holding company of WeChat. I mean, to give you an idea of how big this messaging app is, to give you an idea of how big this this company is, you you walk past their building, it's very noticeable. It's beautiful architectural style. This is a big deal in China. Um, and, a, you know, in addition to it being this massive, massive company, not the majority, but I almost want to say overwhelmingly every single one of our students, every single one of our agents, every single one of our school officials connecting with China is using this messaging app. So it, it is something I think to be aware of right now, we're at a place where we're good to go. That might not be the case in the future. Who knows? Um, we'll, we'll certainly keep you updated on it. Um, but perhaps, you know, a, a conversation for the future is to look at some alternatives to WeChat. How do we connect? How do we take this platform, which has meant so much for this industry and and possibly have to replace it? It is something that, that we might have to discuss at a later stage. Yeah, and it's, it's difficult to replace WeChat um, because the second most popular app or the most popular app here in America is uh, probably WhatsApp. And that is blocked in China as well. So then you have to start looking at different apps if we were going to use it and have everybody choose one. Um, KakaoTalk is the Korean messaging app that is unblocked in China. So that might be an option. But I think it would be very difficult to get Chinese users to adapt to uh, a, a, a new app and and you know, from my personal thing uh, experience, I feel like we might be then looking at VPNs to access WeChat instead of moving to another app because that would basically require people in China to move to another app when they don't necessarily want to. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll certainly be at the forefront of that story as it progresses. Um, so stay tuned if uh, if there are developments. We'll be the we'll be the first to report on that, um, or at least one of the first to report on that. Um, Craig sent me an interesting article actually this week, moving on, um, to do with mental health, uh, which I think is such an under-emphasized thing in the international student market, in particular with students coming from Asia. Um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of cultural significance around that topic um, and a big cultural difference in how mental health as a whole, I think, is viewed across the world, but in particular, if we talk East-West, if we talk the United States and China. Um, but Craig, what a, what a, what a cool article. Um, some insightful stuff, some promising things that I, that I found encouraging, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I, I, I had it sent to me and it was, it's absolutely fantastic. And this is something that is on the forefront of a lot of our school's minds. It's on my mind, um, personally and professionally. And this article uh, focused on China and it talked about how the Chinese government is, has unveiled a new initiative, um, started in 2019 and supposed to run until 2030 to kind of overhaul mental health in the country. And one of the first big things that they're going to be doing is they're uh, starting to screen teenagers and students for depression. Um, they haven't announced exactly how that's going to look, but it looks like at least universities are going to start asking people about depression that might extend to high schools as well, because the goal is to start uh, finding people that are depressed 
and then increasing interventions in key populations. I mean, great news all around. I think something that we've often seen in our position is that there has been a lack of, just a lack of general awareness about mental health. Um, things like depression and anxiety, which we working in this industry know is prevalent, um, you know, amongst high school students um, and does require significant uh, awareness and significant uh, amount of energy needs to be put in that because it's a, it's, it's a, so certainly an indicator of success. We, you know, we often get parents, we often get schools, we often get teachers, agencies coming to us and talking about student success, talking about students graduating at great colleges and being, you know, one of the best students that the school has ever had. A big predictor of that success is that the student's able to, you know, deal with with the inevitable um, mental health issues that that I want to say almost every teenager in the world deals with. Um, yeah. And, and I think that is a, a really important thing about this is, while we are not in China, so our students probably won't be screened at the same rate, what it will do is it will open the door for conversations that can happen with parents. And hopefully it means mental health as a whole moves forward in um, in China, in Asia, around the world, like the way that we're starting to see in America, especially during this tough time. Um, I know one of my favorite uh, journalists, Tony Reale, hosts a uh, show on ESPN, and he has a big push about this and talking about how mental health is just health. And if we can spread that message, not only among Americans, but also among the world, I think we can see some major growth in this area where we're not having to fight tooth and nail with our parents to get help for their students that clearly need it. Yeah, good point. Well said. I think destigmatizing mental health and everything that it means is is so crucial for the world, for our industry, absolutely. You know, I think I think it becomes it's at this stage a lot easier in, in a place like the United States. You see a lot of the athletes talk about it. Um, you know, a lot of the NBA and NFL athletes of late. I've seen interviews um, mentioning it directly. Um, awesome, awesome uh, article. I appreciate that. You'll we'll make sure to put that uh, link to that article in the show notes. Um, both that article and really any other articles that we do discuss any news. Briefings that we do discuss, we'll make sure to put that in the um, uh, in our show notes so that, you know, any listeners that want to reference that, want to read a little bit further, you guys are welcome to um, you're welcome to have a look at those. Um, and just sort of closing out the show, Craig, quick fire sort of question answer for you. Yeah. Can people travel to the United States? What's what's happening? I feel like I feel like every week I'm reading, you know, last week there was some article that, hey, the travel bans lifted. Then I heard it had something to do with airplanes flying in. I'm wildly confused. Yeah. So uh, this was a big thing where we all got our hopes up and then, of course, they were dashed. So right now there is absolutely still a travel ban uh, from Chinese nationals to coming into the United States. Um, it has to be, if you were in China within the last 14 days as a foreign national, you cannot enter the United States. So we are seeing students fly to South Korea is there are direct flights from there. What you do is you fly to South Korea, you quarantine there for 14 days, and then you fly here. 
that costs thousands of dollars because South Korea has their own quarantine thing where you basically pay the Korean government and they put you up in a hotel, um, but it is very expensive. That is one option. I have a student actually today, I got an email uh, that a student was flying to Serbia to quarantine for 14 days. Um, so there are ways around it, but they are very uh, financially and emotionally intensive. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I've never been to Serbia. I'm sure it's very nice, um, but that's a big thing to do. Yeah, I mean, just to to add to what Craig said there, I think any any students, any families thinking about doing that should be aware of the fact that even if you do quarantine in a country, it does not guarantee your entry into the United States. I had a student that flew to um, Dubai, quarantined in Dubai, and was about to board uh, his his flight to to the United States and was denied boarding. Um, the reasons were <laughs> not very legitimate, but the reality is is that they didn't allow him to get on the plane. He had to fly back to China after quarantining in Dubai for 14 days. As Craig mentioned, that's expensive. So. Um, at this stage, according to everything that's out there, there is still a travel ban in place. I mean, we we are really preaching patience. Um, we we understand our schools understand that online learning is not ideal. But um, hey, you know this this has been a not ideal year in the history of the world. So you know we gotta we gotta we gotta be patient. We gotta be resilient, and we gotta uh, take it as it comes. Hopefully, hopefully in the coming weeks we'll we'll talk about some good news with regards to uh, students in particular being able to come to the United States um, and do so safely. Uh, Craig, any final thoughts? I know we're coming to the end of uh, of our little time span. Any final thoughts? Um, today, not really. I, I just wish everybody a good week. Uh, I'm feeling good. We got sunshine here in Seattle. Um, so I hope everybody can enjoy some of that during this tough time. Awesome, awesome. It is definitely the start of the fall. If, you, if you're out there, treat yourself to something fall-inspired. Cinnamon, sugar, donuts, coffee, yeah, I mean, are I, good options. I think Starbucks has had their pumpkin spice latte out for, what, three months at this point. So have yourself <laughs> one of those. Soon it'll change to Christmas. All right, to all the listeners, thank you very much. We'll be back with episode three of the Cambridge Insider podcast next week. Uh, have a good week. Bye-bye.